I've said this many times, of all of the Holy Week liturgies, the Good Friday liturgy is my favorite liturgy, maybe because of its spareness, but also when I was in seminary, it was the first time I saw the Good Friday liturgy celebrated uh, with fullness and great devotion, and it, was, it had a very powerful impress on me, uh, and it still does. Good Friday is a reminder that the way to healing and wholeness often involves uh, moving through great adversity and suffering. And um, I'm going to do two or three things in this sermon. I'm going to talk about the Triduum Sacrum, the three sacred days, and about how we understand them as a unity and their importance uh, as, a, as a unity and not separate or discrete uh, celebrations, Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, uh, the Great Vigil of Easter, Easter Sunday. It's, it's one thing, and that's important to understand because this is about a narrative. We don't say that enough in the church in our preaching and teaching, but when we read the biblical witness and the biblical stories in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, we're reading a grand narrative. And the narrative is the thing that contains the substance or the truth. It isn't merely just discrete historical events that we assert are true or not true, but it is the narrative of God's presence to the world from the beginning, from the creation through and following all of the events that are celebrated during Holy Week, the Christian faith and life for the last 2,000 years. So the three sacred days are constitutive events of the community of faith we call the church, we also should remind ourselves because of this narrative that the church is prior to the scriptures. The church is prior to the scriptures. And we need to remind ourselves that the worship of the church precedes both the scriptures and the doctrinal formulations that the church writes about this great mystery. How we understand this in theological terms flow from our public worship from the beginning. Lex orendi, lex credende. The law of prayer is the law of belief. Or what we believe, we pray. So it's the liturgy that is the location for the theological conversation that gets created out of that in dialogue with the biblical witness. These celebrations at the heart of our tradition continue to be constitutive in ways appropriate to every time and circumstance. And that's why we do them over and over again. So let me say a little something first about where did we get the name Good Friday? Good Friday uh, came from an early English name, Goddess Friday, meaning God's Friday. And when we say that, it is uh, in the same way that the word goodbye came from God be with ye, shortened to goodbye. So God's Friday now becomes Good Friday because Christian people believe that from these events flows uh, new life, transformation, the resurrection. And that's what we celebrate. So I'm going to say, read some quotations that I've read before about those who wish to minimize the importance of a day like today or the cross or the suffering of Jesus to indicate why they're important, but I think they're, they're, they're good, fun to read. The first one is by a clerical colleague of mine who I'm very fond of, who said 
that the Good Friday and Palm Sunday is a weird, awful story that no one wants to listen to. Do you believe that? Maybe some of you think that. W.H. Auden, the poet, said, Just as we were all potentially in Adam when he fell, so we were all potentially in Jerusalem on the first Good Friday, before there was an Easter, a Pentecost, a Christian, or a church. It seems to me worthwhile asking ourselves who we should have been and what we should have been doing. None of us, I am certain, will imagine himself as one of the disciples cowering in agony of spiritual despair and physical terror. Very few, enough, few of us are big wheels enough to see ourselves as Pilate or good churchmen enough to see ourselves as a member of the Sanhedrin. In my most optimistic mood, I see myself as a Hellenized Jew from Alexandria visiting an intellectual friend. We are walking along engaged in philosophical argument. Our path takes us past the baths of Golgotha. Looking up, we see an all-too-familiar sight, three crosses surrounded by a jeering crowd. Frowning with prim distaste, I say, it's disgusting the way the mob enjoys such things. Why can't the authorities execute criminals humanely and in private by giving them hemlock to drink as they did with Socrates? Then, averting my eyes from the disagreeable spectacle, I resume our fascinating discussion about the nature of the true, the good, and the beautiful. Alan Jones, the former dean of Grace Cathedral, in his book Reimagining Christianity, How to Reconnect with, Without Losing Your Mind. An Englishman who was an expert on Eastern thought was touring Grace Cathedral in San Francisco a few years ago on looking at the Spanish crucifix near the south doors. He unthinkingly said to me, why would anyone worship that? The crucifix is a late 13th century, is late 13th century and very beautiful. I've seen it, he's right. A picture of poignant and deep love and sadness. I don't think he meant to offend, but I wanted to react with an equally crass question, why do Buddhists revere that grinning little fat guy? <laughs> so let's say a word about suffering. Suffering is the disruption of inner human harmony caused by physical, mental, spiritual, and emotional forces experienced as isolating and threatening our very existence. As the deprivation of human good, suffering is inseparable from the mystery of evil. However, suffering and evil are not caused by God, the author of all good, but are inherent in the universe's natural processes and in the uniqueness of human freedom, in the misuse of free will, that is the moral evil of sin. You know, this issue of suffering is, is big these days in conversations and in, the, in biblical circles. One, a, a very popular writer who um, is a biblical scholar named Bart Ehrman has written a number of books, some for more scholarly people and some for uh, the popular readership. And they always catch people's imagination because they're kind of sensational and uh, so forth. 
And really, they're all books that are talking about the things that I learned in seminary 40 years ago. But the public has not been made aware of these things, and they're either shocked or we discover that somebody like Bart Ehrman and others are using this material in order to sell books. I hate to sound so crass myself, but he's a very, very fine textual scholar of the New Testament. He co-authored with Bruce Metzger, the dean of textual criticism in the United States, the last edition before Metzger died of the text of the New Testament. But Ehrman has left Christianity, and he's left Christianity because he just doesn't believe that we've properly handled the issue of suffering. Why does it exist? All of the things that we explain about suffering to him seem to make absolutely no sense at all. Suffering has been understood as God's punishment for sin, as a means of personal and national, national conversion. And these two views have had human beings going round and round and round for a long, long time. In Christian theology, the New Testament has understood Jesus' suffering and death as a means of reconciling the whole universe to God and our union with his suffering <clears throat> is the means of participating in the Savior's victory over sin and the possibility of transformation and new life. The church in its worship and theology and sacred literature proclaims that God's love has robbed even the most unspeakable tragedy, a tragedy like the one we celebrate this day as good, as, as God having, as evil not having any power to destroy, excuse me. So rather than, I usually on Good Friday talk about the theories of the atonement, but I'm going to talk today about how theologians understand when we talk about the cross and its meaning and how, how we should do with this, in my opinion. I don't think we should talk too much about suffering and why. I don't think we should talk too much about evil and why, you know. We've divided it all up into different kinds and, and so forth. Many Christians believe that to talk about Jesus' suffering on the cross is, is inexplicable because if Jesus was God, how can God suffer? So some people have gotten around that by saying, well, the, Jesus suffered on the cross, but it was the human Jesus that suffered and not the divine Jesus that suffered. And one of the ways to understand this that I think is the most compelling is what a number of theologians have said about all this, and that is that the suffering that we describe here is that God has come into the human condition and suffers with us and is always with us in the midst of our suffering and uh, adversity. And what we discover is that when that happens, we begin the process of healing and forgiveness. And we have learned a lesson that this sign is uh, a testimony to us that we need to join Christ in his work, in the alleviation of suffering and difficulty in the world, in understanding our own personal suffering and perspective. John McQuarrie, the former Lady Margaret Professor of Divinity at Oxford, said the cross is a sign of the stability of God standing in the midst of human life as a stable force and also as a dynamic force pointing us to the future. 
I'm going to say this again on Easter. But you know, people, you've heard this and we've maybe even said it ourselves about someone. He is a shadow of his former self. And the resurrection promise and the movement through suffering is we become now, we are now shadows of our future self. And that's what we're going to talk about when we talk about uh, the fulfillment of God's purposes for the world in the resurrection. We have biblical support for this in the reading from the epistle to the Hebrews today. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered And having been made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. God's saving work on the cross is a testimony of the fact that spiritual wholeness will not come without understanding that we must move through the adversity we face in big and small ways. And when we do, we unite ourselves with the God who unconditionally loves, accepts, and forgives us. And that's why we call this Friday good. Amen.